Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit BikeRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Rob Hope, and we will be talking about his new book, Tell Me More About That, Solving the Empathy Crisis One Conversation at a Time. Empathy is in short supply these days, and it's hurting us. From the rise in in workplace bullying to increased anxiety and depression. A lack of empathy for one another is wearing away at the gears of society, grinding us down to the nubs. The very technology that is supposed to keep us connected is driving us apart with face-to-face interactions on the decline and news filtered through an echo chamber that shelters us from other points of view. Rob Volpe is a thought leader in the role of empathy in marketing and the workplace. As CEO of Ignite360, he leads a team of insights, strategy, and creative professionals serving the world's leading brands across a range of industries. A graduate of Syracuse University's SI Newhouse School of Public Communications, Rob has been studying empathy since 2010 when the University of Michigan study came out showcasing the empathy crisis. For more information, you can visit Rob's websites. One is www.ignite-360.com, and this is for his business, W www.ignite-360.com, and you can also find more about the book by visiting the website www.5stepstoempathy.com, and that's www.5steps2empathy.com. Okay, and with that, I'd like to welcome Rob to the show. Good day, Rob. Hey, Robert. Great to be here. Great. Thank you. And and this is um, a top, empathy is a topic I'm really interested in talking about and, and educating the listeners because, um, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, you know, it's it's a it's a topic that needs <laughs> needs attention. So, um, so let, let's start with I, I guess you know. Um, in, in the introduction, I mentioned that you became interested in the idea of um, empathy um, when uh, the University of Michigan came out with a study showcasing that it was a crisis. So can you um, tell us, you know, take us back to that time when you, you know, read about the study and you know, how that kind of inspired you to continue um, into the topic to research and, and have that be a, a big focus of your work. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, empathy is, is something that I write about in, in the book and share some of my own stories. It's something that I've been um, comfortable with and using as my superpower since I was a, a kid um, and just kind of naturally had that happening. But then it was 2010, and I mean, the actual story, I remember being in an airport traveling somewhere. I, I work in marketing research, which is insights and understanding human behavior, how people think, feel, decisions that they're making. So, And we travel a lot then. And what ended up happening, CNN was on in, in the airport, and I saw this report come up where they talked about this study from the University of Michigan and that there was a 40% decline in the ability of people, of college students, to have empathy, to be able to see the point of view of their classmates. And that 40% decline had happened over a period from 1979 through till 2001. And then from 2001 till 2009, when they concluded the study, uh, there had, wasn't any change upward or, or downward, so we had kind of reached, Coco was the bottom of the barrel, um, and it, it sat there ever since. And, you know, I was having one of those out-of-body moments where it's like, oh, my God, this is huge. Like somebody, even in 2010, if somebody was in college in 2001, by the time it's 2010, that means that they're working. They're, you know, possibly married with kids, a member of their community. You know, they're in, in their early 30s or approaching 30. Um, that's a big problem, and and we need to do something about it. And, you know, I look around me and, you know, the, the people over at the restaurant are having their meal and their, their beer waiting for their flight. Other people are racing to get to the gate. I felt, like, completely alone in seeing this information come out. But it, it just it resonated with me. I was like, we have to do something about this. This is not a good situation. And, and we've seen how it's played out over the last 10, 12, 13 years now. Um, and, and so I've been trying to bring more awareness to empathy and, and how to have empathy and what does that mean in the moment to get to a place of empathy with other people. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is really important. And um, I've noticed I'm, I'm just the, the lack of empathy and compassion, you know, in um, just in in the media that, that we see all around us. So. How, let's start with a kind of the basic. How would you define empathy? Thank you. I love that because there's so much confusion around what empathy is and uh, things that need to be demystified. So empathy is the ability to connect with another person, either um, cognitively to be able to see somebody's point of view or emotionally to feel how they are feeling. And, and within that, you know, when I, I'm giving talks about empathy to different groups and organizations, I'll ask them, like, how would you define it? And you get both sides, the cognitive side, I can see the point of view of somebody else, and then the emotional side, the feeling, the feelings. And then you often get the, the kind of colloquial response of to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And all of those are correct, but the difference between seeing somebody's perspective and um, feeling what they're feeling, those are two very different things, and, and yet empathy is both of those. So that creates some confusion for people because they're not really sure, like, okay, well, which one am I using and when, and how does all of that work? Yeah. Yeah, so, and, you know, that is, um, I, I think 
people would, at least for me, I would have identified um, the empathy as more into the feeling aspect, you know, of, you know, an individual's emotional um, connection or, or understanding or perspective. Um, you know, and I can see where the, the scene in the cognitive aspect is also um, an important part. Um, so one of the things that um, I, I read about in, in from, from your information is that, that you indicate that humans, despite what you know, society would have us say, are hardwired for empathy. So can you explain the... Um, you know, the nature-nurture kind of aspect of learning or experiencing empathy. Yeah, so the neuroscientists from Harvard and Stanford and other places have actually now found um, the spots in our brain that light up when we are experiencing empathy, which is an indication that well, it is something that we are actually born with. Um, and, you know, there are some exceptions to that, people that have um, antisocial disorders, narcissism, sociopathy, et cetera, they have challenges tapping into empathy. And, and some people with autism variations might also um, have, find it more challenging to tap into um, their, their empathy muscle. But it is like a muscle, and we are all born with it. And, you know, if, the analogy I like to use is, you know, imagine – um, you know, any any child, a baby is born with, you know, arms and legs and the muscles that it will need to walk and ultimately run. However, when it's born, it doesn't have the strength in those muscles to get up and walk and run across the, um, you know, across the room. But parents then, or caregivers, create opportunities for the child to strengthen those muscles so that ultimately they're able to, you know, scoot and, and crawl across or crawl across the carpet. They can stand up and they scoot along the sofa and then they finally take those first tentative steps and they're walking and then they're running and then all hell breaks loose for the parents again. Um, <laughs> and so... Empathy is very similar to that. We're born with this ability, but like the muscles in our legs, we have to be given opportunities to practice it and to have it modeled for us so that we can strengthen our, our empathy muscle. And empathy ultimately, and, and I think another thing that people don't understand um, fully about empathy is empathy is not the end state. It's only part way on your journey. So empathy actually empowers the skills that we use to be the people that we are or that we hope to become. So, you know, examples of that, if you have empathy, you're going to be more effective in your communication, in the way that you might collaborate with somebody, in uh, the way you might persuade somebody. Um, when you reach forgiveness, you're using empathy to help you get there. Um, empathy is also involved in decision-making and ideation, um, creating trust. All of those things, all of those valuable skills are enhanced with empathy when, you, when you're coming at it from a place of empathy and incorporating empathy into, you know, say, your communication. And by turn, that makes you a better person. It makes you a better leader, team member, contributor, volunteer, neighbor, parent, partner, friend. Whatever the role is that we have to be playing in, in our life or who we want to become, empathy is really critical to that moment. Yeah. 
Um, with the current, you know, we had just gone through this pandemic where, where we had a, you know, a huge decline in, you know, in face-to-face communication. Um, and um, how has that, um, and even, you know, social, social media too, how have, have those aspects um, contributed to or detracted from um, no uh, building empathy with others? Yeah, great question. There's a lot of different things that have gone into this. It's, it's one of those death by a thousand cuts kind of situations, or <laughs> mm-hmm. in this case, atrophy of a muscle by a thousand different inactions or changes in behavior. And, you know, if you think about that study from the University of Michigan, just looking from 1979 to 2001, so then I start to look and go, hmm, what was going on? What was going on in society, culturally, politically, all the different aspects and the way that kids were being raised, um, the messages that were being fed to us, developments of technology. And actually all of those things had played a role in that. And even globalization. Um, one of the, the side effects of globalization is we're bumping into each other um, now more than we did before. You know, if you go back to that kind of quote-unquote picturesque 1950s, it was not ideal for everyone. However, we were much more homogenized and living within our, the bubble um, in our community of our white picket fences or our urban, you know, landscape, wherever we were, were actually living. Now we're a lot more on top of each other and we're interacting with each other and, and running into one another. And that's not just within the United States, it's also culturally and globally happening. Um, so there's globalization as part of it. Um, if you look at technology, the, the way technology has developed, and I'm not talking even about social media, I'll get there in a sec. Um, technology, we, we have so many screens around us. And if you go back and think about, you know, in the 90s um, and, and late 80s, when people were playing video games together, they would, you know, now it's all done online and multiplayer, and you can be playing with your buddy across the country. But back in the day, you were sitting side by side on the sofa. However, the interaction that you were actually having was with the screen rather than with the friend sitting next to you. So opportunities to have empathy were diminished because you were both focused on the screen rather than interacting with another. And then you get into the way that kids have been raised. And it was, you know, I'm, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I was a latchkey kid, basically. I came home from school and had to take care of myself and do all of that. And then um, we shifted into this space where kids started getting involved in more after-school programs. And sometimes that was because it provided child care. And for other households, there was this drive to give our kids the best opportunities to get in the best colleges and get the best, you know, foot up, both of which are great intentions. However, what's happened is that the kids aren't having time to be bored. And what do you do when you're bored? You know, you go to mom and go, mom, I'm bored. And they'll say, well, go up to your room or go outside and play. Okay, so you go do that. And oftentimes what will end up happening when you're bored, you start to create scenarios or worlds or role-playing. And it's role-playing that you're actually stepping into the shoes of somebody else. So if I'm role-playing that 
um, you know, I'm a superhero. It's not me as the superhero. I'm actually trying to be that superhero. So I'm developing my empathy skills to understand how does that person see, how does that superhero see the world? And then how would I respond if I was that person, if I were walking in their shoes? So, again, opportunities taken away from us. Um, and, and so to the parents that are listening, let your kids get bored. Help encourage role play and other forms of creative play. Um, and then you get to social media. And social media is all about the validation, the likes. It's very um, um, one-directional rather than really, truly supporting and connecting. And, you know, you're not able to hear everything. Things are communicated in written form or, you know, now in TikTok in short video snippets. But it's not really providing empathy. You're not having the space to really connect and interact honestly with another person. So social media has taken that away from us and has gotten us focused on the dopamine hits of getting more likes. And that's all about self-worth, self-validation. That's not empathy. Empathy is reflective of the other person. And then you get into political polarization. That's also been going on since the 90s where um, – you know, in, in politics now, particularly in the United States, but happens elsewhere, people are digging in and they're just saying, no, it's my way or the highway. And there's not that sense of collaboration and compromise. And it's actually gotten to the point now in some data that we have at Ignite 360 from a study last fall. Um, the top concern, aside from pocketbook issues of food, rising food prices, energy prices, and gas prices, the top concern, 62% of U.S. adults indicated that they were worried about the inability of people to see each other's point of view, and also at about that same number, the political polarization in government. So we're seeing all of this stuff play out, and it's decades and decades of that happening. And then you've got reality TV also, you know, uh, playing a role again. We don't have the role models of empathy. We have a role model that's showing us, no, you need to have an emotional outburst, flip the table over, and walk out. And that's not helpful for people to understand how to actually use empathy to come together to solve problems, to collaborate, and, and do all those great things. So, very well ended, but there's a lot of different things that are going on. A lot of different things. As I say, it's like death by a thousand cuts. A lot of different things <laughs> happening unintentionally that's led us to to this place. Yeah, absolutely. I I actually even had an example of the political polarization last night. <laughs> with sitting next to one of my friends who is very much a follower of, of um a political party that I don't. And um, you know, and then an issue came up um actually about social security, which you know, which okay. really kind of lent itself, you know, to you know, empathy. I mean, to you know, the idea yeah. of being supportive of the needs of others, and um, and uh, we, we kind of had a, a lively discussion. But I, uh, in the end, I just said, you know, I just like to listen, you know, <laughs> and so you know, I mean, you know, and it, I knew it was, it was, I knew the converse, the, the conversation, the, uh, the the dialogue I was hearing was certainly from a um a particular news outlet's um talking points. Right. You know, so I mean it was right. clear that, you know, that that there was that 
um, echo chamber that they were, yep. you know, kind of involved in. Yeah, well, and it's it's hard whether you're you're talking about you know social security or gun control or or you know any of the other issues, big issues that are facing our society, discrimination, you know, police uh, issues. You can feel very attacked when somebody comes at you and they they're armed with their talking points that they've heard a talking head on television tell them and they've read in various places and you know so what you it sounds like what you did is first like you took a, a bit of a what I call a curious breath um, where you <laughs> paused and you're like hmm tell me more about that which is the title <laughs> of the book. But tell me more about that. And, and you listened. And you said that you you tried to listen. And that's one of the steps to empathy is to actively listen, to ask good questions, to try to hear what the other person is saying. And then the fourth step after actively listen is to integrate into understanding, which is making room in your head that, hmm, not everybody believes the way that I do. And I need to be okay with that. I need to be curious about what that is and why and where they're coming from and what might have actually caused those things. But it doesn't mean that I have to give up my own point of view. That's, that's the whole point around integrating to understanding. You don't have to give up your views on Social Security in order to understand the other individual. It's just making right. it in your head that, hmm, there are people that have differing opinions on this. You could probably find three or four others with slightly different opinions between the two of you as well. Um, and, and in order to then collaborate and to problem solve, we need to be listening to each other and hearing and understanding where they're coming from. There's a, a chapter in the book um, called Fear, and it's in the dismantling judgment section, which is the first uh, of the five steps. And I talk about going to the NRA gun show. And I'm, let's be honest, I'm a liberal lefty from San Francisco. Um, but I try to be very open. I try to be very open to others' perspectives and points of view. And we got hired by a client to go to the NRA gun show. It was in St. Louis, it was 10 years ago, um, to find out why people were choosing to carry and conceal and then how they were going about that. And, and it was for a, a and the accessories manufacturers, so the clothing and the holsters and, and all of those things. I had never been to the NRA gun show. I have never really handled a gun in my life. Um, and I have some viewpoints on that. But when I went into the show and started asking people questions like, well, you know, well what is it about carry conceal? Like, what's prompting you to do this? I kept hearing about the, the undercurrent was this fear. It's a big, bad, scary world out there. Anything can happen. I want to be able to protect myself and protect my family. And I was like, I get that. I understand where you're coming from. I come back to San Francisco a week later having brunch with uh, some friends who are probably even further left than I am, and I'm telling them about my experiences. And they're like, well, yeah, but it's a big, scary world out there, and I'm afraid of what the people with the guns are going to do. So that's why I don't want them to have guns. And it's like, oh, you are afraid as well. We're all coming at this issue. We're motivated into our positions out of fear. And so once you understand that, then you can start to have a very different conversation and start to unpack, well, what is it that you're concerned about? What, what, what is the fear that you have? And with my friends, it was around, um, you know, the fact that anybody's getting a gun, not, there's no training that's involved or anything. And those are actually, from what I've seen, um, in most cases it's false. 
is actually a lot of training, particularly if you're supposed to get a carry conceal permit. Um, so it's like, well, hmm, if they understood that, and then at the same time, the people that are pro um, the ability to carry a gun, if you're able to talk with them and understand where they're coming from and what's going to make them feel like, yeah, they want to be able to protect their their family and their property, and, like, that, that's reasonable, how do we do this in a way that can make everybody feel safe and secure and, and ultimately satisfied? And that's what empathy can do. But you've got to re- – it, it takes a lot of work. As you were experiencing last night, you're feeling attached over Social Security, and, you know, there's these talking points coming at you, and how do you respond? And that's where it's like, okay, take a curious breath and sit down and slide into this. Yeah. Well, we, and it was interesting because we both had the the base desire to have that net available for those who need it. You know, so I mean, it was you know there was that common um, element that we shared. You know, we we just kind of had a disagreement as to you know how and who and all the you know some of the other. Um, aspect yeah. to it. So, and and that, and I believe that common understanding or that that common desire would be an excellent basis for you know further conversation. Should we have been you know <laughs> have done that, but, but we, we moved on from that. But it was an interesting you know it was an interesting um, you know interplay uh, between us. Um, now, we're going to be having a break in, in a couple minutes, and, and then when we come back from break, I want to talk a little bit about um, the, the five steps to empathy. You kind of um, alluded to some of the stuff, some of the aspects, but I want to talk about it after the break. But um, I have um, an uh, individual in our, in our chat room who made a comment, and I want to kind of get your perspective on that. And it was, um, he, first of all, said it was great to have this conversation. Um, he hopes a lot of people will listen. His empathetic nature has usually been considered a weakness by other people and frequently been branded as hypersensitive. Um, what, what, what do you, what's your opinion? You know, I, and, and I know, you know, I've experienced, you know, that, you know, as, as, um, as a, a case of being maybe too empathetic. So what, what's yeah, your oh. view of that? Well, you know, it, it, it's um, it's I don't know, it's ironic is truly the right word, but there's you know, we're, we're spending time talking about the lack of empathy, and there is an empathy crisis. But at the same time, what about all the people that are actually empaths that have the ability to really connect and listen, or might be characterized as HSPs, which are highly sensitive people or highly sensitive person, um, and for them, it's you know, yeah, you can understand the five steps. It's the things that they're doing already intuitively, and they have their empathy muscles. Like they, they are the empathy Olympians, basically. Like if you're if you're an empath, you are that muscle's in shape. But then, because of that, like an Olympic athlete, you need to understand how to set boundaries for yourself and how to train properly so that you're not getting overwhelmed by all the stimulation that's coming at you. So how do you take in the the energy or the information, but let it kind of pass through you? So you distill what you need from it, but you don't carry it. 
and and there's a lot of boundary setting that's necessary there. There's understanding of self-care and ways to help cleanse yourself and recharge. Um, and, and yeah, understand, like, when do you bring that out? Um, you know, so if other people are viewing you as weak, and I, I have certainly uh, been in that situation myself, it's about making that choice of, like, well, hmm, how do I show this? You know, uh, uh, side of myself, or am I able to marry what I'm feeling with what I know? So combining the head and the heart together can be incredibly powerful because with those two things, you have conviction and people can see. So it's not just that, oh, yeah, we've got to solve this problem because I feel that. It's here's the problem in numbers or whatever information, and here's what I feel we should be doing. And, and that, that that can create something really powerful. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, I, I've had on my show many people who are very intuitively empathic, you know, and, and you know, empathy. And, and, you know, you're right, it, one of the challenges is boundaries. And, and many struggle with trying to, you know, allow, you know, an individual who they're interacting with, you know, to fix their feelings without taking them on. And, and, um, right. it can be, it can be real challenging for sure. So, uh, we're a little past half voice of the show, Rob. So I'm going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit, you know, kind of on a high level of the five steps to empathy that you talk about in your book. Okay. Awesome. Let's do it. Great. So everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us. Again, today, my special guest is Rob Volpa, and we are talking about his new book, Tell Me More About That, Solving the Empathy Crisis One Conversation at a Time. And again, you can find out more by visiting his website, www5 com, and that's the number five, steps to empathy.com, and that'll take you to information about the book. And you can also find out more information about the marketing and consulting services he offers 
There's all of other things. But visiting his website, which is ignite three ignite-360.com. And that's ignite-and-the-number-360.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Rob. Hey, Robert, thank you so much. It's really been great to be here. Great, thank you. I'm enjoying the conversation as well. Um, so in your book, you address five steps to empathy, you know. Um, so I, I just want to kind of cover them with you on a high level, just so that the readers, uh, the listeners will get an idea of what they would be reading when they get your book. So if you could, let, let's start with, with step one, which is dismantle judgment. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, judgment and how that plays into empathy? Yeah. Oh, God, this is the hardest step for so many people um, because we are, like, we're hardwired to to make judgments, and, and making a judgment is about making a decision effectively. You know, um, what am I going to eat today? What, you know, am I going to buy a new car? What do I want to, you know, wear? Things like that. Those are all decisions, and you're making a judgment in that situation. But the one that gets us in trouble is the other side of that, kind of the shadow side, which is being judgmental. And those are the, the moments where we're casting aspersion at somebody else, where we're having those dark thoughts, you know, who are you, and, and using whatever um, put-downs you might, might need. And, and what that's doing is coming from um, our own past experiences and stereotypes that we're carrying with us, as well as, as biases and um, dissonance um, in our own lives. And it just comes up naturally. And so it's really important if you're going to try to get to empathy is to stop that and tamp that down and dismantle your judgment because otherwise it becomes a brick wall and it, it can't get, you can't get through that. So in the book, I share um, a lot of different stories. I talked a little bit about the, the chapter around the gun show. There's a lot of different stories where I, as a, a researcher and in-home, you know, an ethnographer, I'm going into people's homes to find out how they think, live, feel. You're challenged with a lot of different things, and I've had some really kind of wild experiences, which I document in the book, and times where my judgment got in my way and what I had to do to, to try to overcome that. Yeah, that, that, judgment is a, is a tough one. I mean, you know, it, um, and I and I think you know just the idea you know as as we're going through life and social you know being socialized um, you know we constantly make judgments and, and sometimes some of those judgments you know um, you know are conscious but a lot of them you know may have been relegated to the unconscious I mean it's something that we've done for so long that it's just kind of an automatic response where we don't even have the awareness that a judgment call is being made. Right. Yeah, it's like you want to make a judgment. So, you know, let's say we've, we've all been there where we've got a friend that's toxic effectively and it's not a healthy relationship for us. Um, and we make a judgment that this is not good for me, therefore I need to get out of it. That's making a judgment. That is perfectly okay. But then when you're maybe getting to know somebody and you're like, mm, I don't know, that person is so, and insert the, you know, insult or whatever the, that <laughs> thought is, that judgmental thought that comes to mind, 
that doesn't really reflect who they are on the inside as a person, but there's something that's coming out for you that's getting in your way of seeing them. And those are the things that we need to um, to dismantle. And it's interesting, to your point, yeah, like when we were born, we were not, we were discerning, you know, what's going to harm me or not, making judgments in that regard. But, but you know, kids learn how to organize into their little bubbles or tribes or, or whatever the term is people want to use. Um, people learn, children learn that. They are taught that. We are taught a lot of these divisions and we are taught a lot of those insults. Um, and, and biases and the stereotypes. So it's being conscious of those and then stopping yourself. So, you know, one of the key things with, with empathy is having self-awareness and the sort of metacognition of where is that coming from and, and trying to dismantle it um, and stop it before it impedes uh, or, or influences negatively your, your course of action or something you're going to say. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, awareness is so important. That's where everything starts. <laughs> um, so uh, step two um, in, in the um, five steps to empathy, you talk about ask good questions. Um, so I guess this is in the understanding of the, un, um, the individual's Perspective. This is, is that the case? Yeah. So you, you've taken this kind of curious breath. You've, you've dismantled your judgment. So now you're ready to start to engage with somebody else. And um, asking good questions, I mean, and I'll, I'll just share um, a, a reader of the book reached out to me. I'd never met her before. She messaged me on social media to tell me that um, her, her 13-year-old son was having trouble with English class. And she'd recently finished reading the book, and you know, he came home. I don't know if he had a bad grade or a slip that she needed to sign or something. But she was ready to confront him about what was going on and why was he having trouble in, in English. And she remembered from the book, I talk about how the word why has this effect of putting us on the defensive. And by doing that, then we're constantly, you know, rationalizing and trying to get out of possibly getting into trouble. So we're not actually being true and honest about what's going on. So when you're trying to ask good questions, one of the words you, you know, we ultimately want to understand why, but using the word why will put the other person on the defensive. And, you know, from the time that we were a toddler drawing on the wall in, in marker or crayon <laughs> till the time that we're an adult, and, you know, we, we're asked why and challenged with that word all the time. So we want to try to reframe that. And I, so I talk about that in the book. Um, and she recalled that. And, and so instead of approaching her son with, why aren't you doing well in English class, she said, tell me more about what's going on in English class. So she reframed the question, effectively asking a good question, and she told me that he opened up to her in ways that he never had before, and he really was able to share what was going on, and they were able together to get to the root of the problem so she could actually help him. And she said it was the first time that that had actually happened, and it was bringing them closer together. So um, that's what asking good questions is all about. It's, it's asking, framing questions in a way that is open, that does not have judgment in it, that allows the person to share what's actually going on with them. Um, because you need that information to understand what's true and right for the other person so that you can get to a place of empathy. 
Yeah, very much. And, and hence the title. Tell me more about that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's right. So, uh, and, and that's good. Tell me, yeah, I just wanted to say, Robert, tell me more about that is the default. Like, have, everybody should just have that in their back pocket. If you don't know what to say or what to ask, just say, hmm, tell me more about, you know, and then fill in the blank with whatever, whatever it is. It will never let you down. Yeah. But an important component to that is the listening. <laughs> you know, when you ask them to tell you more, you know, your step three is active listening, you know. So when you ask for more, definitely listen. And and, and what would be um, representative? I mean, if, if why wasn't, you know, you know, listening the kind of response you would want, what would active listening look like? So active listening is all about being present and paying attention to the other person. So put your phone away, turn, you know, close your laptop, turn off the TV, and actually, you know, look at the other person and pay attention to what they're saying. And it, it's listening not just to the words that they're saying, but the nonverbal cues and, and gestures. Or, you know, if you're in somebody's a workspace or their house or their own environment, like notice the things around them. The, the, it's all those nonverbal things that can tell you a lot about what's going on. And also trust your intuition. If, if you're getting that voice inside your body or your head somewhere that's like, mm, I think something else might be going on. Um, and it's not your judgmental voice. It's this voice of intuition of knowing. Follow that. Yes, the inquisitive. Follow that. Ask that question because there's something that's cueing to you. Hmm, there's more to this. So you want to ask the follow-up question. But some of the chapters in the book are, are some of my favorite. Um, one of them is about things that I've discovered in people's bathrooms. Um, I never open <laughs> cabinets or closets, but it's just things that are on display that in, in one memorable moment, my clients were in a bathroom did not see something, I went in a few minutes later and saw something that had us all in stitches and was so insightful about the, the person that we were meeting. Um, and that's because I was paying attention. I was actively listening, even though I was using the bathroom. Um, there's another chapter called The Ghosts in the Room, which is a little self-explanatory and using my intuition and sensing, hmm, there's something else going on here. I need to, to explore that. Um, and it, it led to a very powerful moving experience for us. So that's what active listening can do. It gives you so much richer understanding, again, helping you get to that place of empathy. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, now, step four in, in this process was uh, integrate into understanding. So and, and one of the chapters in, in that section um, is altering perceptions. So um, obviously, you know, once you've, you know, said, tell me more, and you've listened to what an individual has said. Um, when it comes time to altering perceptions, um, doesn't the, don't, doesn't one need to be open <laughs> to altering? You know, I mean, is there a, you know, um, you know, someone who may be kind of rather stern in, in their perceptions and, and not, um, yeah, easily persuaded, you know. Uh, well, it, 
yeah, if you if you go into that situation with um, judgment, with yourself closed off, you're not going to, I mean, you're, you're basically still at step one. You're never going to be able to ask good questions, actively listen, or integrate into your understanding. We have had situations, um, and I'm sure others have, where it's like, hmm, I thought they were listening and paying attention, but then they come out of left field and there's still this, you know, closed-mindedness. They're not open. They're mm-hmm. not curious. They're not trying to understand. And a lot of times it's because people are worried that they're going to have to give up their own point of view, as we were talking about earlier. Um, and that's that's one of the, the mis, uh, misperceptions about empathy. You can still have your own point of view. That's okay. You just need to have rules for somebody else's and to integrate that in. Um you know, and, and altering perceptions, that chapter itself, uh, you know, is really um, around the understanding. We had a, a situation where uh, the clients found we were going into the home of what would be known as a brand champion. So that's a consumer that just loves a brand. They buy it all the time. They're their heavy user. Um, and it's important for businesses to know who their heavy consumer, heaviest consumers are so that they can continue to satisfy and meet the needs of that, that consumer. So uh, my COO, Lisa Osborne, was in a consumer's home leading a session with some clients, and they made a discovery of that, that, that just revealed a little more about who that person was, and it was really difficult for the clients initially to integrate into understanding, and that led us to do some more around yeah, what does it take to alter perceptions and, and what you need to know about other people. And so that's that's that particular chapter. Um, but it's understanding, it's just understanding that people live in different ways. The chapter right after that, the language of home, um, is about going into other people's homes. And, you know, we, we all, you look out your window at all the houses you might be able to see, Every single house in there, they probably have breakfast, lunch, and dinner in some form or fashion, but it plays out differently, or nighttime rituals are similar yet different, and it's about being open to that and understanding of that. Interesting. Very good. And, and then the, the fifth step in, in the five step to empathy um, is the use solution imagination. Imagination. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is where... Can, can you, yeah. Sorry, we're talking about. Yeah, no, so, no, they just go ahead and talk with Okay, I, I will do that. So, use solution imagination. That's where, where all of this is kind of folding back over on itself. So, you've taken the time to dismantle your judgment. You've been courageous to ask good questions and actively listen. Um, you've integrated this into your understanding. And now, you need to start to turn it back around. So, taking the things that you're hearing or that you've picked up and start to use that in you know, your conversation, communication, whatever it is that you're, you're trying to do. So it's actually that transition point where you're starting to get into empathy and actually applying it um, back to the other person, partly so that they understand that you're hearing them, but also so that you can further, you know, whatever the conversation or the situation is that you're, you're in towards a, a positive outcome for everybody. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, yeah, like you said, I mean, each step builds on, you know, creating a more 
empathetic uh, view, you know, in, individual. And um, now, you know, what in what in your book? I mean, the very last um, section um, talks about um, embracing empathy in everyday life, and and like in the subtitle of your book, you know. Um, solving empathy crisis one conversation at a time. So can you tell us, you know, for, for those listening, um, you know, what are some things that they can um, do, in, you know, every day or in, in an everyday kind of situation that would help build empathy? And, and, and like, for example, what would be some kind of uh, trigger that they may – that may um, recognize that this is an opportunity where they may not have seen, you know, opportunity for empathy where they may not have seen before. Sure. So um, there's a lot of different things that people can do, but an example just drawing from our conversation and the conversation you told me about from last night where um, Mm -hmm. you were getting challenged around views on Social Security. And, so when you're in those interactions with other people and and you might be feeling like your button's pushed um, or you're just you're getting your guard up or you're starting to have judgment, it, it's about having self-awareness of what's going on. So really starting to observe your thoughts as they are happening or the things that you're saying or expressing and Asking yourself, like, hmm, you know, where is that coming from? Is that actually, is there positive intent behind it? How is that going to be received by the other person? Where is that perspective or view coming from? Um, and how can I frame that up differently? So an exercise people can do is to create a judgment journal. And just make notes throughout the day of times when you've had um, judge, being judgmental, as, as, you know, casting aspersion, you've had those types of thoughts. It can be about, you know, somebody at the grocery store, the person that cuts you off when you're on the highway, a reality TV show contestant that you don't like, a political figure, whatever it is. Those negative things that you're saying. I'm like, why am I saying those? What, what, what am I really wanting to communicate? Um, and how might I rephrase those? And, and make notes of all of that. And then once you're done, because those are all negative thoughts, I want people to burn them in a safe uh, way or flush them, tear them up and flush them down the toilet um, because we don't need those and, and you want to get rid of those. So that, that's one thing you can do is a, a judgment journal. Another thing tied to the second step is challenge yourself to take the word why out of your vocabulary for a day. Um, and you can make that a game with colleagues or family members. You can create a little sort of why jar, like a, a swear jar, but around the word why. Um, but try to stop yourself. If you find, catch yourself using the word why, catch yourself and rephrase the, the question using a different word. And notice how that changes the uh, conversation and the way that the other person responds. Um, I think people will find that it's a much more positive experience, um, and they're going to learn a lot more from the other person. There won't be that tension of the why. Uh, so that's an, another exercise or activity people can do. Um, another one that's really fun, this is around integrating it to understanding. So we've, we've, Robert, you and I have talked about some pretty big issues. We've touched on gun control. We've talked about Social Security um, some of the other problems uh, facing our day. 
You can take integrate that into understanding down to something as simple and as pleasurable as ice cream. Um, so this is a fun activity for people. Partner with somebody and just ask them, like, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Chances are pretty good that it's not going to be yours, uh, the same as yours. So the challenge here is now go to an ice cream parlor or the, the grocery store, and you're going to pick out one flavor of ice cream. You only have money for one or with one scoop at the, the store. And you have to be curious and work with each other to figure out, like, what do you have in common? What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then the other person's. And what might they have in common? Or are there some other commonalities? How can you use your understanding of the other person and their interests and their tastes to come to a solution to get to, oh, this is the ice cream that works for us. Um, it, it, it's really fascinating. When I do this with the groups, uh, we find that very few people actually are sitting next to somebody with a favorite flavor. There's very rarely a match. Um, and the ways that people actually find and what they come up with for a, a flavor that works is usually quite entertaining. And then you get to enjoy some ice cream afterwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, guys, we're down to the last five minutes here, Bob. So um, I did want to leave without talking to you a little bit about Ignite360, um, your business where you offer services to businesses um, and revolving around um, building empathy. So can you tell us, um, you know, for the leaders out there, business leaders out there, um, you know, why is empathy important and you know does does it um take away from a um the view of them as being an effective leader when they you know display empathy yeah it's a real tension point for leaders and organizations there's a, a study from business solver that found last year i think 68 percent of ceos recognize that it's their role to build an empathetic culture in their organization, yet 78% are afraid um, or are not confident in their own empathy skills, and 76% are concerned that they're going to be perceived as weak if they reflect empathy. Um, so what we try to do is help our clients understand other people and how to actually use empathy, and a lot of it's cognitive empathy. That's that's of the two types of empathy. Mm -hmm. Cognitive empathy is the one that we're using most of the time in our interactions with the, you know, clerk at the grocery store, with our neighbor, um, and with other people that we work with. It's about understanding where they're coming from. It, it's to be difficult to get to that emotional feeling place unless you are one of those empaths or highly sensitive people that we talked about earlier. So night through 60, we do insights. We talk to people. We understand how people think and feel and then transfer that empathy to our clients so that they're understanding where their customer, client, consumer is coming from so that they can build better products or services or, or solve the, the problems of the future. Um, and we work with a wide range of clients in different sectors from tech to healthcare to financial services to travel to food and retail. Uh, it's, a, it's quite a wide range, um, and there's a lot of information on our website and, and thought pieces for people to check out. Well, great. Well, Rob, um, thank you for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation like I, I thought um, I would, and, and appreciate uh, the work that you do in um, building a more 
empathetic world uh, for us. Um, now, I did notice on your website that you are on social media, so if people want to, and you mentioned one one reader did communicate to you through there, so people can join you through those types of platforms, correct? Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, you can find me as Empathy Activist on most of those, or, you know, on LinkedIn, you can search Rob Volpe, Empathy Activist, and, and I'll show up there, and Facebook as well. But would love for people to connect with me and continue the conversation. Great. Well, I, I, I think I've connected with you on a few. I'll be sure to finish off with the other platforms as well, because I do want to follow your work and, and appreciate your time with us today. Yeah, absolutely, Robert. This has been such an awesome conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and thanks to all your listeners for uh, having the, the courage to be empathetic. <laughs> Thank you very much. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Rob Volpe. We've been talking about his new book, Tell Me More About That, Solving the Empathy Crisis, One Conversation at a Time. And, again, you can find out more about the book by visiting the website www dot five steps to empathy dot com and that's the number five steps to empathy dot com and again you can find out more about his business um, consulting and otherwise um, by visiting the website www dot ignite hyphen three sixty dot com ignite hyphen and the number three sixty dot com so everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.